following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Good day to you, episode 777 of I Doubt It Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined by your host, Brittany Page, everybody. I was prepared for that, and here I am. And what we what were you unprepared for? I don't know. I'm Typi- not prepared. Typically, the beginning the same old same old tired way that i start the show yeah and so i'm thrown off a little bit but that's okay uh the misadventures in relocating across the country continue with our our dryer which has had ongoing issues it sounds like an animal is being tortured in there every time you use it and so finally after i don't know 3 or 4 sessions with a repairman who couldn't fix it it is being replaced the dryer itself the whole dryer but get this the people who built the laundry room (laughs) built the cabinets in the laundry room around the washer and dryer in the laundry room right so well here's what happened the guy comes with the dryer yeah i'm here man i'm here to give you oh awesome yeah and i got to thinking like the day before i go i don't know if they're gonna be able to fit a dryer because i was in there and i was looking and i didn't think they were gonna get the dryer out right and it was obvious that it or it seemed obvious to me that that's what they did Mm -hmm. it's like you you have a a kitchen island or something Mm -hmm. and then you build your cabinets around it and then you're not able to get the thing out of the kitchen that's exactly what they did for the dryer yeah which doesn't make any sense because washers and dryers do not last your whole life. <laughs> Certainly not. They don't last the life of the home. No, they're going to have to be replaced at some point. And so now what's happening is someone has to come in and temporarily remove the cabinets from the wall and then put them all back up Yeah, yeah after yeah. the dryer gets replaced. So pretty... Pretty uh, annoying to have to deal with. Poor planning. Poor planning. As they would say. But also, maybe this is just a heads up for the audience. If you are building your home or you're doing some remodeling, something to consider is don't build things that will then have to be taken down when you need to replace something that needs to be replaced. Yes. Because the, the guy that's coming to remove the cabinets, he said... He's had to move plumbing around. He's had to move electricity around. Yeah, he said, yeah, yeah. so like, be happy that it's just cabinets that I have to move and not something <laughs> that is going to be more significant than that. Some people, man. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I think I could be categorized as someone's like, ah, we'll worry about that later. It, That's kind of a Jesse D thing. Related to what? I mean, I don't know. Like, if we were having, if we owned this home, Mm-hmm. which we don't, mm-hmm. and we won't, mm-hmm. that seems like mm, adjacent to something I might do. Like, we have the washer and dryer in. 
we put it up and the guy says, oh, I don't know if we're going to be able to get the dryer out by in, in if you ever need to. And right. like, ah, don't worry about <laughs> oh, it. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, uh, no. You don't think that sounds like me? No, that absolutely sounds like you. That's but, what I'm saying. But I'm not going to let that be the situation. Oh, no, for sure not. You know, it reminds me of when my parents moved us to Idaho and they were going to put in sprinklers for free in the yard. Like they offered, we will put these sprinklers in for free. And my dad said, nah, I got kids. They'll do right. it. Perfect. <laughs> Free sprinklers. It also reminds me, again, of you and your raised by wolves situation, that wasn't there a, wasn't there like a, a giant entertainment center like in your dining room or your lo- your, your your family room or whatever, mm-hmm. your living room, mm-hmm. that uh, it, rather than move it away from the wall to paint the whole room, yeah. mm-hmm. your mom just painted around the entertainment center, or like reached in behind the wall as far as she could reach. Yeah, no, it was just painted around. But it wasn't just that. It was <laughs> visible in other rooms because she chose bright white and painted the walls and stopped where she couldn't reach anymore. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. that was, and it's it's visible. They tried to sell the house a few years ago, and in the photos online, it was pretty significantly That's terrible. definitely not Jesse D style. Oh, <laughs> Well, based on what you were... We'll worry about that later. We'll clean that up later. (laughs) That's what you just said. Anyway. We caught you. This is is an egregious attack on my character. Yeah, sure it is. Just because I leaned into it first doesn't mean mean you need to pile on. Yeah, okay. All right. Huh. Well, we have some listener communication today, and it's going to be a little serious and heavy, and I want the listeners to take it in. And if you identify with the email that I'm about to read, if something comes up for you that you want to send in feedback about to this person, please do. This email is from that other guy. Hi, kids. I can say that because I'm older than both of you. You know I have respect for you both just by the fact I'm writing this email for advice. So I'm not going to preface this question with ass kissing. My father is going to die soon by his own decision. He has in-stage Parkinson's and has been suffering a considerable amount for a long time. His mental state is good, and because of these factors, he is eligible for MAID. This is a program in Canada, Medical Assistance in Death. I'm grateful that we have this program here, and I've supported it since before it came into play. However, I honestly was a bit shocked when he announced that he was already going through the steps. This is an old school guy that ha- that had a work ethic that could not be rivaled and an in-charge presence that made tough guys say yes, sir, without even knowing who he was. It's because of these qualities that I find myself wondering what I'm going to say to him before he closes his eyes forever. I came under his shadow, never feeling like I measured up, often because he told me so. I worked for him for 20 years before I moved across the province where I have thrived for another 20 We never played catch. We never went fishing. There are no bonding anecdotal memories to draw from. All we did together was work. After I became independent from him, I started to give little hints that he had some level of respect for me. He would never come out and say it. The best I ever got was the time he looked at my daughter and said, you did good there. Over the last 15 years, my physical distance has brought us closer. I found myself visiting more often to help with whatever project he had going, and I think he enjoyed my company. I love you is not something that's been said between us. On occasion, we will shake hands. 
I don't ever remember getting a hug from my dad. In spite of all this coldness, now that I know he will decide to die any day, I realize I love the old prick and I don't have a fucking clue how to tell him. That other guy. A lot here, and because it doesn't line up with how I was raised and how I operate as far as um, open affection for those I love, it, it kind of... It's not lost on me, certainly, but I, I just, it doesn't compute at all. Um, and I don't know if it's, it's a generational thing that there is this older generation that does the handshake with sons and doesn't tell them they love them. And I don't know, but it certainly doesn't remove. I mean, listen, my, my biological father died this last summer. Mm-hmm. I didn't go to the funeral. I didn't dislike him and wasn't we were just disconnected you know mm-hmm. i didn't meet him until i was 18 years old mm-hmm. and i expected there to be like a, a a groundswell of hidden emotion that came up after he died and mm-hmm. there just wasn't mm-hmm. and it surprised me because i really did expect there to be like this oh i didn't know that was there mm-hmm. and i i think i think i missed that it's, I think it's something that I that I wish had happened. Mm. The the unexpected grappling with emotions that I didn't know or that were, you know, just under the surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I guess if the question is how to tell your dad that you love him is just to do that. Just to say it. Because... If there's any time when a person is is reflecting upon their life and how they've lived it and those that have impacted them, it would be when death is at their front door. Mm-hmm. It would be, it seems to me, I, fuck, I don't know, mm-hmm. but it seems to me that this would be the time that your father is most receptive to hearing an overt, um, you know, n- n- not hidden or or between the lines mm-hmm. just a message that you love him yeah that you appreciate him yeah well i want to preface this by saying that uh right now i'm just a podcast host and not a therapist so this is not professional advice <laughs> we still don't have a drop for that but um i think that you're you and your dad as as you're describing that other guy um you had a certain way of interacting that conveyed love at least that's what you're describing in this email and maybe it wasn't what you would have wanted or what society thinks of as a quote-unquote normal display of love and affection where people are exchanging I love you's and being physically affectionate but it seems like you met your dad on his terms in the way that he was able to display his affection and that that looked like looking at your daughter and saying you did good. Yeah, sure. Giving giving you that affection in the way that he could display it. So I don't know where this stands with your dad right now. I don't know if in the time that you sent us this email and now he has passed. So it's it's hard to say what you should do because I feel like you know your experience and your situation better than anyone else. You know your dad better than anyone else. So it's hard for someone who has this, you know, 200 word 
email to say, oh, I, I know this well enough to tell you exactly how you should handle this situation. Also, I, I think it, it would it would be useful within yourself to quantify for whom will will the I love you be who who's gonna benefit? Mm. If it's for your dad's sake, um he probably already knows because he operates the way he does. But if the I love you is for you, then just say it. Mm-hmm. Just tell him so you you can go on knowing that he knew. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's, it, it, I think that's a, and also an important aspect of this is who, who's, who's the benefit of here? Right. Yeah. And I think that goes to what you were talking about, Jesse, with your own experience with, with your dad passing and how you didn't have those emotions come up and you were surprised by that. I mean, we don't know how we're going to respond to grief when it happens yeah. and, and you, it's just, you can't predict these things. So it makes it difficult to really think, you know, am I going to regret this if I don't do it, for example? And Jesse, you and I have had those conversations because we don't have good relationships with our parents of are we going to regret not doing this or that before we get the news that they have passed, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. and those are difficult things to navigate because you, you just don't know until it actually happens. So the best thing here is actually not to get advice from our dumbasses because neither one of us have a traditional or normal or healthy relationship with their families. I would throw it to the audience. Mm-hmm. We have thousands of people out there who have good and normal and um, regular normalized, what's the normative <laughs> relationships with family and they they probably have some advice or or something to say on the matter yes 657-464-7609 of course you can email a voice memo to i doubt it at dollamore.com and you know listen it is something that i appreciate there has been many 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 times over the years where someone has called in for advice it rings to mind heather in arkansas who called about advice with holidays with her Mm in-laws trump happened and we've taken multiple calls about people who have strained relationships with families over the holidays and the audience has sounded off and given i think sound sound advice so it's uh, i really appreciate the fact that we have such a a thoughtful audience with a a wide-ranging set of life experiences that can uh can go to this so Thank you, guys. We we welcome your input, uh, as always. All right. Before we move on, a word from our sponsor this month, Noom. One clear advantage of D.C. over Southern California is walkability. Though our cross-country move through a wrench in our daily routines, at least now we can simply open the door and go get some exercise. <laughs> Imagine walking to the grocery store in Orange County. Uh, no. Exercise has been a primary focus of mine over the last six months since I started using Noom. Noom is not a diet. It is not simply a weight loss tool. It is a program that uses psychology and social science to change your behavior. We are so excited to have Noom sponsoring the podcast this month as it has helped me lose weight, exercise smarter, and feel better. Go to Noom.com slash I doubt it to take your free 30-second Noom quiz today or simply click on the link in the show notes to get your health headed in the right direction. Noom's super detailed exercise and food trackers give me a clearer understanding of how my effort is stacking up and where my calories are being spent. Wait until you see their food budget. 
You can even track your daily water intake and gain insights into your sleep habits. And you can do all of this in less than 10 minutes per day, thanks to Noom's use of cognitive behavioral therapy dispensed in intuitive and insightful lessons. Cognitive behavioral therapy is an evidence-based practice that helps people gain a clearer understanding of their negative thinking patterns and triggers so they can better change their behavior. This is how Noom goes beyond just a diet. Get your 2022 on track. Head to Noom.com slash I doubt it to take your free 30 second Noom quiz today or simply click on the link in the show notes to chart your path towards better health. Thanks to Noom for being this month's sponsor. We very much appreciate their support. Yes. And the audience supporting us by going and taking their free 30 second Noom quiz. Fantastic. Awesome. (laughs) Reminds me of the, the new TikTok trend in my TikTok, by the way. What is it? Which is the some... Oh, bodied, and then they yeah. show the tripping or the dog or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Smash Mouth song. <laughs> is that what it is? I think so. I I don't know. Yeah, I don't know stuff like you know stuff, Brittany. Page. You love Smash Mouth. It's one of your favorite <laughs> bands. That's what I've heard anyway. That's the Shrek song, right? You were just playing Smash Mouth to torture everyone the other night. You don't remember oh, doing that, that? Is that is the same band? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I love to torture people. <laughs> that, and so that if was I'm a going little, to torture someone. It was a little hyperbolic. Why not use Smash Mouth to do so? Because clearly yeah. you don't use like Earth, Wind, and Fire to torture someone. Well, according to people who have no taste. <laughs> some might say. That, that, that is true. Yeah. All right, moving on. Democracy facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So finally, there is some infighting happening with the Republicans. Yeah, finally, finally, they realize that Trump might not be the best for the health of their party long term. Yes, you have had people issuing various statements about the RNC's position on the January 6th insurrection and the Republicans that are taking part in the committee to investigate the insurrection. As a reminder, the Republicans said that January 6th was legitimate political discourse. Right. Fantastic. So Mitch McConnell, surprisingly, we talked about this on the previous episode, came out and disagreed with the Republican National Committee's take on January 6th. Yeah. And so what has happened now is the media is reaching out to various Republicans asking their take on Mitch McConnell's comments. And in this clip, you're going to hear from various Republicans in order. You're going to hear from Republican Michael Cloud in Texas. Tommy Tuberville, Jesse's favorite, in Alabama. And then at the end of the clip, you're going to hear from Don Bacon of Nebraska. Senate GOP leader Mitch McConnell this week tried to convey the reality about January 6th. It was a violent insurrection for the purpose of trying to prevent the peaceful transfer of power after a legitimately certified election from one administration to the next. 
but many in his party won't have it. Do you agree with the, the Republican leader's uh, characterization of what happened on January 6th? It was mostly a peaceful protest. I don't know whether I would go that far, but it was something that we uh, were not proud of. But not a violent insurrection. Oh, it was violent. I just don't, I, I wouldn't call it an insurrection, a violent protest. Thank you Senator Ted Cruz, Senator. who used to refer to the events of January 6th as a violent terrorist attack, until getting blowback from the right, rejected the GOP leader's comments. The word insurrection is politically charged propaganda. I think it is a mistake for Republicans Fucking to repeat shameless. the political propaganda of Democrats and the corporate media. The debate was ripped open last week when the Republican National Committee took the unprecedented step of censuring two Republicans, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, for joining with Democrats to investigate the attack. Adding to the controversy was language in the resolution saying the two Republicans were persecuting citizens who engaged in legitimate political discourse. House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy defended the RNC and said the resolution should have specified that January 6th investigators had subpoenaed some RNC members who were in Florida at the time of the attack. I think had they explained out what they were talking to, this wouldn't be controversial at all because they weren't referring to um, people who have broken into this building. Everyone understands. So you support that? You support the RNC put out their resolution. I think they have a right to do their resolution and what they want. RNC chairwoman Rona McDaniel also tried to clean it up, saying she condemns all acts of violence and the probe has gone beyond its scope, pointing to a subpoena sent to an RNC member who was not in D.C. on January 6th. But there's a reason why some RNC members have been subpoenaed. The committee is looking into allegations that individuals tried to submit fake electoral certificates in seven states that Joe Biden won. I don't think it was a wise statement on the RNC's part. Violence is always... Not legitimate. Their statement put us backwards. I don't think it's right. Now, just moments ago, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell responded to the conservatives who are downplaying the notion that this was a violent insurrection, saying it to us, this is, pretty, this is pretty simple. We are in the middle of a national crime wave. The Republican Party is a pro-police, tough-on-crime party, and I am a pro-police, tough-on-crime Republican across the board. There's several things that I absolutely love about that clip. And the first thing is Tommy Tuberville talking about how he acknowledges that it's a violent protest, but he wouldn't call it an insurrection. Right. And the literal definition of an insurrection is a violent uprising against an authority or government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So He's just a dumb fuck. He... Also, the it was a mostly peaceful protest. No, it's not an insurrection. It's a mostly peaceful protest. Well, there was 10,000 people, and if only a few hundred cops were hurt, I mean, it was over 150, it's mostly peaceful. Yeah. They're just meaningless yeah. terms. Well, and then we have Ted Cruz, who, I mean, it's meaningless to even ask him what he thinks about anything because it's not genuinely based on what he thinks. Also, it can't be an, a direct answer. He has to get on the phone and call Tucker Carlson <laughs> to find out what exactly he feels about it. Right. And so in that clip, they talked about the blowback that Ted Cruz got from the right when he came out and used the word terrorism when he was talking about the insurrection. And so just to refresh everyone's memory, we wanted to play a little bit of Tucker Carlson really taking him to task. 
Senator Cruz was game enough to come on tonight. We appreciate that. He joins us now. Senator, thanks so much for coming on. So I guess what I, I mean, there are a lot of dumb people in the Congress. You're not one of them. I think you're smarter than I am. Uh, and you never use words carelessly. Um, and yet you called this a terror attack when by no definition was it a terror attack. That's a lie. You told that lie on purpose. And I'm wondering why you did. Well, Tucker, thank you for having me on. When you aired your episode last night, I I sent you a text shortly thereafter and said, listen, I'd like to go on because the way I phrased things yesterday, it it was sloppy and and it was frankly dumb. I don't buy that. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't buy that. Look, I've known you a long time since before you went to the Senate. You were a Supreme Court contender. You take words as seriously as any man who's ever served in the Senate. And every word you repeated that phrase, I do not believe that you used that accidentally. I just don't. So, Tucker, as a result of my sloppy phrasing, it's caused a lot of people to misunderstand what I meant. Let me tell you what what I meant to say. What I was referring to are are the limited number of people who engaged in violent attacks against police officers. I think you and I both agree that if you assault a police officer, you should go to jail. That's who I was talking about. And the reason the phrasing was sloppy is I have talked dozens, if not hundreds of times. I've drawn a distinction. I wasn't saying that the thousands of peaceful protesters supporting Donald Trump are somehow terrorists. I wasn't saying the millions of of, of patriots across the country supporting President Trump are terrorists. And that's what a lot of people have misunderstood that comment. Wait a second, but even your way, but hold on. What you just said doesn't make sense. So if somebody assaults a cop, he should be charged and go to jail. I couldn't agree more. We have said that for years. But that person's still not a terrorist. How many people have been charged with terrorism? On January so listen, 6th. Like, why'd you none, use that word? You're playing into the other side's characterization that, as Joe Kent just explained, allows them to define an entire population as foreign combatants. And you know that. So why'd you do so, it? So, Tucker, let me answer you directly. The, oh, well, the reason I mean, I- just let's, it will end that there. Foreign combatants. And we're going to rehash the clip. Mm-hmm. Fucking just, it, it's a battle of the goddamn idiots over here. <laughs> I don't... Wh- just fundamentally what I don't understand is just the dignity-free shame, uh, the vacuum of there's no shame, there's no embarrassment. It's whatever is politically expedient. He will backpedal and run away and cower to Tucker Carlson. Mm -hmm. Just a couple of just weaklings. Well, I don't know what Ted Cruz's hopes are for the future, but it it just seems like he is not doing well in any regard in terms of building a following when he can't decide what he feels about anything. And then he's being attacked on Tucker Carlson show in a way that I haven't seen anyone be attacked on Tucker Carlson show in a very long time. Yeah. Even like liberals. Yeah. So, so kind of going with this theme about the infighting in the Republican party, there is now this, I don't know if shadow campaign is a little too aggressive but they're well they're having meetings behind closed doors yeah there are what you could call republican establishment members like mitch mcconnell george w bush is behind this as well uh again weaklings who can't do it in public who can't just come out and sorry who can't just come out and say we oppose trump we are this faction. We are the establishment. We are long-term Republicans. Follow us into the future. Instead, yeah. it's 
backdoor, backroom meetings and ugh. Yeah, so they're having phone calls, they're doing polling memos, they're promising millions of dollars, they're trying to recruit candidates that are not Trumpists. Mitch McConnell, no secret, wants to be Senate Majority Leader again. And he sees Donald Trump, not the Democrats, as his chief obstacle. This tension is not new, but the midterm campaign calendar is bringing it into sharper focus as McConnell tries to block Trump allies in several big Senate races. McConnell wanted Maryland Governor Larry Hogan to run for Senate. Hogan last week said no. And McConnell wants Arizona Governor Doug Ducey to run. Ducey will decide soon, but is said by close friends to be leaning no. Both governors have a very dim view of Donald Trump and vice versa. Jonathan Martin of the New York Times writes this of the McConnell strategy. It's all aimed at recapturing the Senate majority, but the election also represents what could be Republicans' last chance to reverse the spread of Trumpism before it fully consumes their party. And I want to highlight this Doug Ducey, the governor of Arizona. They want him to run against Senator Mark Kelly. George W. Bush met with him yeah, and yeah. is trying to convince him to run against Senator Mark Kelly. So, you know, all those cute bipartisanship photos where George W. Bush looks like a cool guy and a hugging, hugging uh, Michelle Obama. Yeah. No, he is not your friend. Yeah. He is trying to get Republicans elected. He's a Republican. He wants Mark Kelly out of there. And they're trying to find people who are. Not sympathetic to Trump. Uh, Doug Ducey has been attacked by Donald Trump for months for refusing to overturn the state's presidential results. So they're trying to find these people and, like you said, quietly get them to run. Yeah, it it is. That quote that John King finished with there, that uh, the election also represents what could be Republicans' last chance to reverse the spread of Trumpism before it fully consumes their party. You can go elsewhere for fucking sympathy. You allowed this to happen. You engineered Trump after he got the nomination to be what he became. Yeah. You didn't oppose him in any way. No, you pushed his agenda. You ushered in all of the judges. You ushered in the child border separation policy. You welcomed with open arms the xenophobia and the racism instituted in policy. And now it's, uh, he's going to consume the party. Fuck off. Well, and Mitch McConnell in these private conversations is saying that Donald Trump is not someone to be feared in a primary, that he's losing political ground, and they're sharing polling data that they argue proves these things. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know that that is the case, but they certainly seem to be hopeful about yeah. it. Well, the problem is, and we'll get get to this on the other side of the of the, of our Patreon break. The problem is, is that while Donald Trump's polls may or may not be slipping, Joe Biden's are, and that is going to be a problem come the midterms. But we will get to that on the other side. I doubt it is a listener supported podcast. Support comes from our most loyal, engaged, intelligent, and good looking listeners, just like you, via Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month would help keep the conversation moving forward one podcast at a time. If you have a few dollars to spare each month, we invite you to help produce the show by joining the Patreon family. Please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. We want to give a special shout out to Christina V. Christina V. 
Christina V for increasing the pledge on Patreon. We very much appreciate that. And remember, we are still sending out those magnets if you sign up for Patreon. If you have not received your magnet, please get with us and let us know what your current address is so that we can ensure that your magnet ends up in the right place. I wanted to share an email that we got about the magnet. And this is from Doug. Received my magnet yesterday in a beautifully hand-addressed envelope. Getting some credit for me. That's very nice. Wait, wait, wait. Thank you, Doug. Doug thinks your handwriting is beautiful. Is beautiful. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I see you are using your supply of Newport return address labels. Brittany made a comment on the podcast about your different addresses that implied that a P.O. box was being used at both places. Your contact page lists a street address in D.C. I now know where you actually live. Go! Yikes! It does not. It does not have our yeah. street address. That is the address for the post office box in D.C. It is just formulated in a way that looks like a street. Yeah, are you, are people, do, is it, do I seem like the kind of guy who's going to welcome nutsacks to come and kill me? Someone who gets death threats on the reg, I'm just going to post my home address uh-huh. on 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 my own website? Right. No, sir. Not likely, not happening. Also, for clarification, if I was confusing on the previous episode, we are not using two P.O. boxes. We have not had mail forwarded from our old P.O. box for quite some time. Because so- of a glitch in the... USPS system. Right. So we're having someone go to get the mail that is in there. And then once it's out of there, it's never going to be checked again. Yeah, so we're closing if, it down. If something goes there, it's it's not going to be forwarded. It's I don't know what they do. They're going to return it, whatever. But once that gets picked up, that P.O. box is done. So there is a new P.O. box on the Dollamore website that looks like a street address, but it's not. And if you want to send us something, you can send it there. We will stop using our old return labels soon when we have new ones. I got to make them. But while we have them, I'm going to continue to use them. Yes. Yes. So anyway, thank you very much for the kind words, Doug, about the magnet. And um, thank you all for your support on Patreon. It means a lot. And it absolutely helps keep the show rolling on the rolling. Good. So now we want to talk about Biden's poll numbers, which are not looking very good. That is right. Let's get to our new CNN poll numbers now, brand new numbers. And you're going to see how inflation and broader doubts about the COVID recovery are dragging down the president's standing. Let's just go first to the threshold number you always focus on in a midterm election year. Do you approve of President Biden's job performance? Well, look at how bad these numbers are for the president. Only four in 10 Americans, 41 percent at the moment, approve of his job performance. Nearly six in 10, 58 percent disapprove. That's a tough number early in a midterm election year uh, for the president of the United States. Now, why is this happening? This is fascinating. We asked people, what has President Biden done for you that you approve of? 56% of Americans, nearly 6 in 10 Americans, that means a decent amount of Democrats said nothing. They disapprove of everything that has happened. Now, yes, the president would say, we passed the rescue plan. We passed the bipartisan infrastructure plan. It is not sinking in out in America. 56% of Americans say nothing. They disapprove of everything that has happened so far. 15% say the president has helped with the economy. 6% say the coronavirus. You see here personal traits, foreign policy, other issues. But that is a stunning number of the failure to communicate the legitimate successes of the Biden administration. And without a doubt, the COVID pandemic is dragging the president down. His standing on COVID is underwater. Why? Look at this. 
75% of Americans say they are burned out. 60% say they are angry. 58% say they are worried. Half, 49% say they're confused. 47% do say they're optimistic. So as the numbers come down, maybe the president can turn this dynamic. But right now, you just have a burned out, angry country. It's hard for the president to break through, even if things are getting better. And to the inflation and the economy, just look at the line here. The president's approval rating on the economy was 49% back in March. It is down 12 points to 37%. Disapproval on the economy, 44% in March. 62 percent. That is the toll of inflation right there. The unemployment rate is down. The president did create a record number of jobs. 62 percent of Americans disapprove of the president's handling of the economy because they are paying more at the grocery store and at the pump every day. Now, some of these things, uh, they seem to me to be unavoidable, like uh, displeasure with the inflation. But some of this stuff is because of Biden's own leadership. Mm hmm. Biden is so committed to quote-unquote bipartisanship and meeting everybody in the middle that he's pleasing no one. Right. When you try to please everybody, nobody gets pleased. Yeah. You made promises, President Biden, about student loan debt that you are failing on. There are many other issues that you've made promises on. Going back to the stimulus payment that was supposed to be $2,000 and only ended up being fourteen or 1600 because you wanted to meet Republicans in the middle. Who are you trying to who you're trying to please here? Your voters or obstructionists and people who don't care about progress for the United States of America. Well, notice that's not one thing they're citing either, right? right. Really loving that <laughs> President Biden is bringing the country together or that he really values the other side. He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's inviting input from Republicans on what they have to say about things. I really appreciate that about him. No, no one is saying that. Well, the other... <laughs> Because if you ask Republicans, they're not going to be like, oh, you know what I really like about Joe Biden? <laughs> He's really trying to make an effort to reach across to us and, yeah. and, and represent our, our desires about CRT and every other fucking racist nonsense uh, agenda item of the Republicans. Mm -hmm. They're not saying that. All they think that is Joe Biden is a leftist. Yeah. Joe Biden. A leftist. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I wonder I wonder how different this would be if the Build Back Better Act had had been passed with the infrastructure bill, which is what sure. progressives were fighting for and wanted to have happen. But AOC did an interview with The New Yorker today that kind of gave a behind the scenes look at what went down with all that. And there was concern that if they didn't get the infrastructure bill passed, that there was going to be increased negative sentiment for President Biden and his inability to do anything. And so behind the scenes, they there was it. there was a push to just say, listen, let's just do the infrastructure bill because we need something positive yeah. that he can point to that he has done. Rather than flex his muscle as president of the United States. Listen, say what you will about the jackass that is Donald Trump. He ruled the Republican Party with an iron fist and he got his agenda accomplished. That's why Republicans, in large part, love that fucking guy. He got shit done. He said he was going to get shit done and he got the worst of it done. Some things he failed on that were non-negotiable items. But Joe Biden hasn't really flexed his presidential muscle. What is he? Is he just kid-gloving Joe Manchin? Is he, is he having... Send them over for wine? What are they doing? Well, so that's the thing. Like, if the child tax credit had been continued beyond December 31st, there would still be this sense of 
the government is doing something to make our lives easier, even though the pandemic is continuing, even though we have inflation. There's some sort of assistance that that the American people are getting yeah. to help alleviate some of this stress. And I think part of this is also that the pandemic is happening. And like John King of cited course. there, people are pissed off. They are fatigued. They want it to be over. Like I said, some things are unavoidable. It would have it would have landed on whoever was in the office, right? And then there's also, according to this polling, kind of a just a lack of general consensus on what the top issue to focus on should be. You have 24 percent of those polled saying that reducing inflation is the most important priority. You have 16 percent citing voting rights. You have 15 percent citing border security. And then you have fewer than one in 10 choosing to reduce violent crime, slowing climate change, which seems like that should be much higher on the list. Yeah, yeah. Uh, addressing, addressing racial inequality, solving the labor shortage, dealing with opioid addiction, or expanding access to affordable childcare. So there's also this issue of there's not really a consensus surrounding what main issue they should be getting well, solved. I, I would I would push back on the narrative that that often gets, you know, we can't do two things at one time. We can't do multiple things at one time. Yeah. And it isn't just one thing. The media wants to focus on that. There are many things we should be tackling. There are There is an almost unlimited supply of experts and, and people who can run point on these different issues. Mm-hmm. It's not that we only have, oh, there's only 24 hours in the day and only one guy can do it, Joe Biden. No. Mm-hmm. Get a climate czar. Get some action going. Prove that you've done something. In two weeks, he's going to be given a State of the Union address. And today, um, Axelrod, he wrote a, an op-ed about how a little humility, Joe Biden. Mm. That's what we need right now is a little humility. L- listen, we need a bold agenda for the future. And that is what people are looking for to go into the midterms, to be excited about what we're going to accomplish. Not all this, oh, well, let's let's... Break uh, the Republicans, and we need to be. Uh, stop it! What's Mitt Romney have to say exactly. about who we should nominate to the exactly. Supreme Court? What does Come he say? On. We need to call him. Ugh. Does he have input? <laughs> okay, so what do you think? Six five seven four six four seventy six zero nine, or I doubt it at dollamore.com. There were two pieces of legislation that had widespread bipartisan support that Joe Biden can be excited about with all the bipartisanship. Uh, it's what, it's what uh, heats his oven. It, it fuels <laughs> his flame. It revs his engine. So the first one is Ending Forced Arbitration of Sexual Assault and Sexual Harassment Act. Judy, this is an important bill in many ways, not least of which the fact that it is not marginal. This is a sweeping bill that addresses one of the major issues raised by the Me Too movement, workplace sexual harassment and sexual assault. And I want to help viewers understand the system as it sits now. In America right now, many countries require their employees, many, many companies require their employees when they sign up for the job to agree that any harassment claims will go through something called arbitration, that that employee is signing away their right to take those claims to court. That is called forced arbitration. The employee is silenced. Their claims are not heard in public. And 
it is clear that what has happened in many of these workplaces is that that culture of harassment has just grown in that kind of silence. Meanwhile, those who have been harmed by it, we, have, we know by the American uh, Association of Arbitration, one of the arbitration groups, they say just 1.6% of the time do those people claiming harm get any payment from it because they are not permitted to go to court. This is the system right now, and it is a problem that many have raised. Congress, just last night in the House, passed a bill that would wipe away that system. Here's what this bill would do, would do. First, it would ban the idea of forced arbitration in sexual assault and sexual harassment claims, and it would allow any of those people who were making such claims to sue in court. Now, it also would cover not just workplace harassment or harassment, but it would also cover contracts that you and I sign every day, including perhaps when we take a ride using a phone app or some of the agreements that uh, people sign when they're hiring moving companies. This would mean that no one could force someone into arbitration over these kinds of claims. Did your ears perk up when they talked about moving companies? Uh, yes. So this this bill has been championed, like I said, bipartisan support by Kirsten Gillibrand, Lindsey Graham, and in the House, Sherry Bustos of Illinois and Morgan, Morgan Griffith of Virginia. And it has now passed the Senate uh, after it was overwhelmingly approved in the House, and it is headed to Joe Biden's desk. This is being called one of the most significant workplace reforms in American history. And it certainly seems like a very important thing. So this may be something that Americans hear about and can feel good about Joe Biden accomplishing. I don't know. I don't know that it's <laughs> going to affect their everyday lives until it does. Yeah. People want to see immediate. That's why the child tax credit as a monthly payment was such a big deal. Mm-hmm. It, it impacted their lives right now. Yes. Not... Some and this is again when it's this widespread bipartisan. Eh, mm-hmm. We'll see. Yeah. So not only was the Me Too bill uh, passed with bipartisan support, we also have a major financial overhaul of the United States Postal Service as well. I'll run through this quickly, but the post office is obviously in a, faces a tremendous amount of red ink. So here's what's going on with this bill that has also passed the House this week. It would save the Postal Service some $50 billion, and it would move postal retirees into the Medicare system. It would protect six-day delivery, which I know a lot of Americans rely on. And this bill now also has very good prospects in the Senate. No timing on that yet. This is a difficult issue that, again, Congress is moving on very quickly. So this one is less exciting, and that is because, um, (laughs) well, that's because according to a postal service expert, the bill is, quote, woefully inefficient because it does nothing to improve mail service. It takes the pressure off of the postal service to better understand and to reduce its costs, and it doesn't sufficiently empower the post regulatory commission, which right now is very small and has very tiny resources compared to the postal service, end quote. So not... Perfect. Well, I can tell you what, there is something related to the USPS that uh, Joe Biden could do that would uh, absolutely fire people up and get them excited. That's getting rid of fucking Louis DeJoy. By whatever means he can, he needs to do so. Mm -hmm. I realize he can't fire him outright without cause, but it's because he's fucking everything up Mm -hmm. to steal something from the office. Yeah, and... 
again, this is being talked about as though it is this historic, bipartisan, supported bill. And I think to your earlier point, this is kind of what you get when you have like historic bipartisan bills is they're not very exciting and they don't go far enough and they don't do enough and they get so watered down because that's what you have to do in order to have both sides agree on something. Because no one's super passionate about it on either side. So you're not going to piss off the Republican base. So, oh yeah, we're on board. It doesn't have to, it doesn't end racism or deal with xenophobia (laughs) or domestic terrorism. Yeah, we're we're in. We're going to do it. Yeah, yeah. So the Me Too bill, more important than the United States Postal Service bill, but we wanted to keep everyone updated on the goings-on because it seems that uh, Biden's administration is struggling with the communication (laughs) aspect of the legislation that is being passed. All right, moving on. It's the asshole of today. MSNBC. MSNBC. MSNBC, during a Morning Joe segment, called a five-person panel, including Al Sharpton, to talk about stolen steaks at a Trader Joe's. It is true that people are just walking in and walking out with it. No, there's no doubt about it. I mean, uh, you go to a local pharmacy, Dwayne Reed or, or Rite Aid, any of them, and you've got to get someone to help yeah. assist you. I mean, they, they have the little button there. Yep. You hit the buzzer, and the guy comes over and unlocks your toothpaste. Yes. I mean, we're talking about basic <laughs> stuff. He What did I miss that we now have to lock up toothpaste? Yeah, I'm just curious, Rev, really quickly. I mean, Eric Adams said he's going to do his best to fix this. I'm just curious. I mean, he's got a governor who's saying, well, I don't know that we want to give the judges any power to make decisions on whether they've seen the same bad guy in front of them like 12 times in the past week. And then you've got a DA. I know you talked to the DA. The DA's going, oh, we don't want to punish anybody unless it's like really bad. You know, so, yeah, you can steal what? Whatever you want to steal, and yeah, we won't do any jail time. And then you've got, you know, then you've got a woke uh, city council. I'm just curious: is Eric Adams going to be able to do anything while he's obviously surrounded by elected officials who want New York to remain chaotic? Well, I think he's got a challenge there because there is a debate in the criminal justice system, and there are those that are concerned, including me, about overloading the system and the jails with petty crimes. But at the same time, you cannot have a culture where people are just at random just robbing and stealing and is out of control and is put on the front page of newspapers which only encourages others to do it uh in fairness to eric he's only been mayor five weeks but in uh uh, but even as i'm fair to him eric they're locking up my toothpaste (laughs) i'll say come on baby come on i'll say that uh you know first just a hamburger covered near post just makes me hungry uh i've been up for a few hours yeah. Um, but I think this is a, points to a larger issue, though. There is a sort of just sense that things just aren't quite right. The city's a little bit out of control. Crime is up in 72 of the 77 NYPD precincts. Um, That's the most important thing. Whether or not toothpaste is locked up in pharmacies. Yeah. And as you as you can tell, there's no conversation here regarding the child tax credit ending, poverty, public policy, how people are still struggling in in the midst of the pandemic, which is ongoing. 
they are focused on criminal justice reform. You had Al Sharpton talking about what, a, what happened to that guy talking about you can't have this culture where this is accepted, where stealing is accepted. And he also talked about covering it on newspapers and having people see stories about it. And then it, that just encourages other people to do it. Yeah, it's That's like they've not been how watching, things work. It's like they've been watching Fox News. Yeah, I mean, this it did. It seemed like a segment from Fox News. It seemed like a segment that you would see on Outnumbered. It was almost the same number of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's also it's also an um, it should send a signal that just because you you're in opposition to Donald Trump, a la Joe Scarborough, doesn't mean you're the friend of the everyday person. It doesn't mean you're on our side. It doesn't mean you're trying to make things better. Here he is making, oh, theft is out of control. Crime is out of control. Mm -hmm. You know when crime started being, quote unquote, out of control? Is when the police didn't get the, quote unquote, support that they wanted after the George Floyd uh, murder. And after the subsequent uprising of people wanting police reform. That's when cops are like, oh, you're not going to support us. We're going to throw our hands up in the air. Maybe that's conspiratorial. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But it seems as though... We have a system where they could control crime a little bit and cops are choosing not to. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know. And you have a lot of right-wing media, but not just right-wing media, also outlets like Axios and even the comedian Michael Rappaport. Is Michael Rappaport. He took a video yeah. of something like this. Yeah, and he claimed that Rite Aid is closing due to the number of thefts that are occurring there. And that's just not true. That's they, not true. They announced last year they were closing all of these different locations. To reduce costs. Right. It's the same with here. Here, there's all kinds of pharmacies. Like the other day, we saw a CVS. I'm like, oh, wow, CVS is closing. And then a block away, there's a new location. They're, mm -hmm. they're upgrading. It's the way businesses operate. It doesn't have to do with Michael Rappaport's whatever the fuck he thinks it is. Yeah. Like he's tapped into the corporate goings on. Right. Well, and, and again, it's not just right-wing media. It's also places like Axios. And it's weird that anyone would, would think, oh, why is my toothpaste locked up? This is so annoying. I, I, I have to go ask someone to have my toothpaste unlocked. Right, right, right. You should think through that. And it's the same thing when I see baby formula locked up at the front of the store. I mean, they're doing that because it's expensive and they don't want people who are in need to take it. Yeah. And well, that's another question that needs to be asked. Where are we as a society when we are not providing yes. the necessary tools for people to survive and support their families that they're resorting to stealing toothpaste Yeah, at Rite Aid? It's not the candy aisle that's being stolen. It's not... It's not uh, toys. It is stuff that you need to really to, to get by. Right. And even with the stakes, right? You love, Republicans love to make the argument that you should ban certain foods from being purchased with food stamps. And oftentimes they'll talk about things like steak. That that's, seafood and steak oftentimes are talked about. Yeah, but steak is an easy thing to cook. Especially yeah. if you only have access to like a grill or something that's more portable to be cooked, like, yeah. a, like a steak, right? Um, also, steak is nutritious. And if you don't have a lot of food options and you get some protein, there you go. I mean, it, it's not rocket science. It's not it's sure. Trader Joe's steak, okay? Yeah, it's also they're not breaking into your local um, artisan butchery. You know, it's it's... <laughs> 
it's the Trader Joe's prepackaged steak. It wasn't a 28-day dry-aged. Yeah, they're not breaking into Morton's into the kitchen there. <laughs> Come on. So anyway, uh, unbelievable that MSNBC is joining the cacophony of dumb fucks, um, ginning up problems where there are none. And having a missed opportunity to actually talk about things that matter. Yeah, absolutely. That more That more than my point, for sure. It's not a competition, Jesse D. Everything's a competition, Brittany. Okay. Speaking of competitions, we'd love to have you compete to get your voicemail on the air. (laughs) 657-464-7609. really good. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Taking care of biz. Jack Sweeney. Jack Sweeney. Jack Sweeney is a 19-year-old who created some sort of jet tracking. Oh, is this the Elon Musk story? Yes. <laughs> it's so good. So he's tracking Elon Musk's private jet using the Twitter account at Elon Jet. And he's using public information to do so. He didn't hack into some FAA database. He's not doing anything that anybody else couldn't do. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, has made Elon Musk quite unhappy. And he has approached this kid to have him cease and desist, right? Yeah. So he logged into his Twitter one day and saw that actually he had a direct message from Elon Musk. Wow. How exciting. Wow. How exciting. And Elon wrote, can you take this down? It's a security risk. That's all he said? Yes. Real people person, that Elon. Yes. Well, then Jack Sweeney replied that it's going to cost him. He wrote, yes, I can, but it'll cost you a Model 3. Only joking. Unless. <laughs> so that's kind of where we are, is that they're at an impasse on negotiating what it's going to take for, for the kid to stop using the public information to track where Elon Musk is in the air at any given time. What, what is your current demand relative to Musk? What will it make for you to go away and stop this? Uh, still a Tesla or $50,000. I mean, I'm not going to up it. There's no need to. I, I bet people who are watching this are, are making a determination as to whether this is ambition, this is in the American spirit, or whether it gets a bit obnoxious. You would tell them what? Fuck off. Um, I was just started as a hobby, and I don't want to let go of a hobby for something that's not really going to change my life. You know, it's something I enjoy doing, and... I find it really cool to do. But the new Tesla, that would change your life. Yeah, I don't have a car right now, and it would be great to have a car, and (laughs) it would be a really cool car. Let's not go crazy. (laughs) Uh, So Elon Musk asked him how much he makes from the accounts, and Jack Sweeney replied no more than $20.00. I guess. And Elon offered him 5,000 to delete the account. And then Jack Sweeney asked if there was a chance to up it to 50,000. How many billions of dollars, how many thousands of millions of dollars has Elon Musk made just during the pandemic? And he's offering the kid five grand. Yeah. Well, obviously it's not that much of a security risk for Elon Musk because he, again, is not willing to 
pay or give a Tesla. And I mean, we chose this as taking care of biz just because it's kind of funny. I mean, well, I like anytime Elon Musk gets a little comeuppance. Yeah. I mean, his, his bros are definitely the worst kind of bros. So we may be hearing from those. Oh, they, bros, they probably but- already stopped listening because they couldn't take the criticism that he's a piece of shit for not paying his taxes. So in addition to that, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It just took a really wild turn at the end there. I don't know. Well, you know, what are you going to do? Okay, all right. (laughs) (laughs) So Jack Sweeney giving us a good laugh with his unless in the DM. (laughs) Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, As always, we'd love to know what you think about these and any stories that are on your mind. 657-464-7609. Email your voice memos from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We're going to see you next time. We love you guys. We appreciate you. Until then, for Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt.